Hey, hey! Welcome to episode 87 of the Authors Read Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Ryan. Today's guest is Patrick Burke, and he'll read from his book, The 10 Biggest Business Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Tim woke up, looked lovingly at Laura, his wife of 40 years, and assessed his feelings. Fulfilled was the first word to come to mind. Today was the day his business lifetime would profitably conclude. Looking back, he thought of his successes and failures. Fortunately, the former not only outnumbered the latter, but also far outweighed them financially. Tim worked hard, envisioned the future, and made changes when needed. Nothing extraordinary, he thought, except he avoided the big mistakes. As he walked to the kitchen to start coffee for Laura, he preferred tea, he was counting the near catastrophes he'd avoided during his long journey from disgruntled employee to successful business owner. Drinking his tea as he admired the view of the Ohio River Valley from his back deck, he realized that number was 10. 10 times he had avoided the big mistake. Years ago, Tim's accountant told him business was like weekend golf. Winners avoided the big mistakes. Although Tim's 25 handicap would indicate he was never skilled enough to apply this concept to his golf game, the $8 million that was being wired today for his company, RCM, was proof he was skilled enough to apply it in spades to his business career. Each chapter in this book will outline how Tim, a mostly fictional character, through good luck and experience, avoided the 10 big mistakes. My analysis follows. Throughout this book, we will discuss the sustainable advantage. which is the most critical element in a business's continued success. This sounds simple, but it's not. Think about the local restaurateur, we'll call her Sue. She decides to expand from one to three locations and then shortly thereafter is back to one location or maybe even none. Her first restaurant had an advantage, most likely it was her. Perhaps she was not only a great chef, but also a great hostess and promoter. Her first restaurant thrived because it was the perfect stage for all her talents. Each successive restaurant got off to a great start because she was present for a while. Over time, the restaurant she abandoned in favor of the next one experienced a significant decline in guests. Within a couple of years, she was back to her original location, poorer but smarter. So what was the problem? She, like many entrepreneurs, was the advantage. Sue was the unique value proposition of her business, and as a result, her business was neither sustainable nor scalable because she was neither sustainable nor scalable. Many, if not most, small businesses are, or at least start out as, personality cults. There's nothing inherently wrong with that, but as with Sue, a cult is not sustainable. The moral, if you're buying a business, make sure the Sue problem has been solved. If you're starting your own business, create Sue-like processes that allow others to be surrogate Sues so you can successfully scale. Running your new business means living with a certain level of uncertainty. That doesn't mean you must eat risk for breakfast. However, understand where you fall on the riverboat gambler actuary continuum and let that be your guide to the correct business. For example, service businesses require less capital and are easier to modify if the market changes than, say, manufacturing businesses. Existing competitors are a good indicator that a certain business makes sense and perhaps counterintuitively is therefore less risky. 
blazing new trails is risky and costly. Only about 20% of businesses fail because they are outcompeted. Twice that number fail because there isn't enough demand for their product or service. There's nothing inherently wrong with a lifestyle business. It makes perfect sense to start or buy a business that makes enough money for you to be comfortable and have a good work-life balance. Lifestyle businesses are also great if you want to take guilt-free time off for family or hobbies. The problem occurs when a business could be a growth business and should be a growth business, but instead is starved for cash because the owner is treating it as an ATM. It's very difficult to have a steady-state business. If you're not growing, you're likely shrinking, and if and there's a competitor who's sensing your weakness is ready to eat your lunch. This is particularly true if the business you're treating as a lifestyle business is competing directly with other growth businesses. Think about the local pizza place trying to compete with a Domino's franchisee. Choosing your professional team is every bit as important as choosing your business partners. I prefer, I refer to professionals as spigot partners because you can turn them them the related costs on and off as needed. Great advice at the right time will help you avoid the big expensive mistake. Just as a great business partner enhances your company's profitability, your professional team will save your company multiples of their fees. Many, if not most, entrepreneurs start businesses because they are confident in their ideas, many, work ethic, strong, and risk tolerance, high. Add to this self-confidence and overall high opinion to themselves, and it's no wonder entrepreneurs fail to appropriately match when they engage in business bumble. As explained by Mike, the gold standard for choosing a partner is finding someone who has a non-viable and essential skill. Swapping equity for a skill you could pay for with cash is almost always a poor trade. The problem of hiring too fast stems from what I, as a lifelong Cincinnati Reds fan, call the Pete Rose effect. Most entrepreneurs, like Pete Rose, are imbued with a super strong work ethic and boundless optimism. They truly believe they can transform employees, even those with below average skills and drive, into valuable players through their excellent example and the sheer force of their iron will. This is patently not true. A good friend of mine who had spent a lifetime in human resources field once told me that a person's basic nature can be categorized as true north. And the greatest amount of change that can be achieved is northeast or northwest. Entrepreneurs, however, believe that they can take the employee all the way down south, which is pure folly. Since every company is also a team, your process must address more than just functional fit and performance and include inquiries that will determine cultural fit. The vast majority of new hires fail due to attitude rather than lack of skills. Clearly, it's very common to be addicted to experience and hire mostly on resume skills. However, such skills could, should be weeding tools only. Attitude must be thoroughly assessed during the interview process. You need recruits to be motivated about the company, the team, and their role. Motivation should be instilled before the first day of work. If what you're doing is not leading you to your desired destination, you may be thinking too small. Delaying gratification is a hallmark of successful entrepreneurs, and studies have shown the ability to delay gratification is the number one indicator of success. If you're already a successful entrepreneur, you have the patience and persistence to execute on big ideas. Stop listening to the wrong people. Low-level thinkers concentrate on survival and security. You're capable of escaping this trap. 
think bigger, get bigger, and achieve more, you'll be happier. As you'd expect, the most common cause of a business's early exit is lack of capital. Prior to opening a business, the owner should ensure he has the capital runway to not only gain momentum, but also turn the tide in the event of an early slowdown. As painful as it may be, you need to work closely with your CPA to develop a cash forecast. There's no reason to start a business only to run out of funding before it has a chance of surviving on its own, but this happens all the time. Most entrepreneurs will predict and have funding for the first year's losses, but few entrepreneurs plan to lose money next year. In my experiences, businesses that run out of cash and lose early momentum rarely survive. Get it right the first time. The money already sunk in a venture results in the ever-dangerous sunk cost bias, and thus a tendency to continue investing in a losing proposition because of what has been already spent on it. Succumbing to this phenomenon results in not only throwing good money after bad, but also not spending time and money on other, more likely better opportunities. Unfortunately, the correct time to sell a business is not necessarily related to when the business's value reaches the owner's exit velocity number. And although the selling too late phenomenon covered in the next chapter is more prevalent, the selling too soon syndrome is definitely real. A paradox, perhaps, but the best time to sell is when you absolutely don't have to. It's pretty hard to get the best price when your back is against the wall. Your company will hit its highest value when it's cruising along, making plenty of money, and growing nicely with a strong team in place. Most sellers, as previously discussed, tire out before hitting this stride. Instead, they go to market too early and fail to maximize value. Failing to sell a business at the appropriate time is not always, and maybe not even mostly, due to greed. As discussed, squeezing out a few more years of cash certainly ranks high when it comes to the cause for bad sale timing. However, a more common cause is the owner's identity being caught up in his business. A once-headed owner, George, age 75, accept an offer for 98% of his asking price and then call off the sale the day before closing. When I asked him why, he said, where will I go and what will I do without my company? Obviously not selling was an illogical and emotional decision, but it happens all the time. Unlike a professional investor or a private equity firm who buy or start businesses with the intent to sell, most owners don't see the business in terms of a potential transactions. It's really more like a family member. There you have it, the 10 biggest mistakes and how to avoid them. There are clearly hundreds of others, but avoiding these 10 will practically ensure your business goals will be achieved. Goals, I hope, meet the BHAG standard. In my experience, setting and achieving bigger, hairier, and more audacious goals is no harder than achieving smaller ones. It just takes a little more planning, patience, and a willingness to redirect some of your raw entrepreneurial energy towards developing processes. Fighting the strong impulse to build the business bicycle while you ride it will be difficult. But if you're successful, you'll have a far better ride to a much better location. I also hope I've been able to convince you that turning your business into a valuable and transferable asset is a matter of ensuring your business advantage is both sustainable and scalable, a tall but clearly achievable order that will have outsized consequences like complete financial freedom. I'd like to thank Patrick for sharing his book with us today. And thank you for listening to the Authors Read Podcast. 
be sure to check out the show notes for the link to the book. If you'd like to support the Authors Read podcast, please like, subscribe, or share. Until next time!